Pastor. How's everybody doing today? Good. On this beautiful Easter Sunday morning. So good to have you here with us today. Special welcome to anybody who is visiting with us for the very first time. It's so glad to have you here with us this Sunday morning. You could be anywhere in the world today, but you chose to be worshiping with us here at the South Suburban Vineyard uh, Church, and we don't take that lightly. We're very, very glad and very impressed that you chose to, uh, to come and worship with us today. Also, special welcome to anybody who might be listening to us through our website or through our podcast. You're also welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday morning. Well, happy Easter, everybody. Or should I say happy Resurrection Sunday? It's fantastic that we are gathered here and we actually, you know, in some figurative way, are are linking our arms with millions and millions of Christians all over the world to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We talked on Friday night about the death, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and we were just struck with, as we reflected on how important that was and how significant that, that is and how important it was that Jesus would do that for us. But today we turn the page and we celebrate. We celebrate because Jesus isn't dead anymore. He got up, he rose from the grave for you and for me, and that's great cause That's great cause to celebrate. And so that's what we celebrate today. And I'm so happy that you're here with me this morning. Well, if you know me at all, you know that I love to watch and interact with good communicators. I kind of have a thing for communication. I kind of communicate for a living. I get paid a little bit of money to communicate weekly, right? But I also am very interested in watching, observing good, great communicators. I studied communications at the University of Illinois. I even worked a little bit in the the news business simply because I love communication so much. So as a lover of good communication, I like to watch a good newsman or newswoman on television. I love to be engaged in conversation with good conversationalists, people who know how to keep a conversation going. I love to be in the midst of a good counselor or a good coach, a good life coach or a good mentor because there's something that good communicators all have in common. And what they have in common is they know how to ask good questions. They know how to ask good questions. When I'm watching the news, I watch a lot of news. One of my favorite newsmen uh, is Jake Tapper. Anybody watch CNN? Jake Tapper is my favorite Newsman. My, my, my kids, by the way, can't stand the news. They always want me to turn it back to cartoons, but I'm just I'm kind of a news junkie. But I love watching Jake Tapper. I love to watch Jake Tapper on the desk when he's just reporting. But Jake is at his best when there's another person in front of him because Jake knows how to ask the right questions, the pressing questions, the open-ended questions that keep the dialogue going, good follow-up questions I love a good interviewer, a good news person. I love to be engrossed in great conversations because good conversationalists don't just send you a wall of words, a wall of communication, just telling you just about themselves, but a great communicator, a great conversationalist knows how to keep the conversation going by asking really good questions. You ask good questions, you don't really have to know a whole lot about the subject that you're talking about. You just can ask informed questions to keep the conversation going. Great conversationalists. I've been fortunate in my life to, to, to have had great mentors along the way, great life coaches, people that would advise me 
on my life as I travel this road that Jesus has put me on. And so I've had a few rookies try to engage me in conversation, try to engage me in mentorship, try to engage me in counseling. And usually what that amounts to is just a wall of advice being thrown my way. Just, just a barrage of sort of fortune cookie wisdom, these little nuggets that I just am assaulted with. But the pros, the good ones, the people who have been most meaningful for my life, the people who have helped me get unstuck at times where I was really, really struck and I really needed answers and I really needed some clarity, those people asked me a series of really good questions and the light came on. Questions like, how'd that make you feel? Really? Tell me more about that. Oh, when did that thinking begin? More importantly, what does your wife think about that decision? And as they asked me these questions, if I were to just read back the transcript of our conversation, they said very little. They offered very little advice, and often it was the case that I talked myself into the right decision. I worked the thing out for myself. These great conversations, these, these great newsmen and women, these great life coaches, they ask good questions, and they get us to the place where we need to be. Well, here on Easter Sunday, as we focus on the person and the work of Jesus Christ, it's helpful, if not necessary, to understand and to acknowledge that Jesus is perhaps one of the best conversationalists we will ever meet. Jesus one of the be- was one of the best communicators that we will ever study. He's one of the best counselors. He was one of the best mentors. He was one of the best life coaches that anybody could ever have. And true to what I've said earlier, Jesus asked great questions. He asked great questions. And the questions that Jesus asked is sort of the basis, sort of foundation of a new series that I want to begin this Easter Sunday morning. We're simply calling this series Questions That Jesus Asked. Questions That Jesus Asked. And the goal of this series is to look at some of the powerful questions that Jesus asked. If we looked at all the questions that Jesus asked, we would be here, you know, for a couple of years unpacking that over the course of, you know, three years worth of Sunday sermons. But we'll just look at a few over the course of the next few weeks. Look at some of the thought-provoking questions that Jesus asked. And we'll think about how those questions, even though he didn't ask us directly, we think about how, how those questions are still relevant today. How Jesus is still asking me And you, those same questions today, the goal of this series is to have us wrestle with those questions, to answer those questions honestly, so that the answers to those questions can bring us to a place of clarity, a place of freedom, so that we we can move on in our life with Jesus with a measure of fruitfulness and a measure of uh, functionality. And so this week, we're starting with the question, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? This is a powerful question that Jesus asked. I think it's especially fitting for a Sunday like today where millions of people will go into Christian churches all over the world. The burning question is, what are you looking for? In other words, what did you come here for? I don't hear that question being asked in a sort of snarky, dismissive, sarcastic way. Well, what do you want? What are you here for? But honestly and earnestly, we ask, what are you here for? Because in a room this size, uh, lots and lots of people here have come for lots and lots of different reasons. Some of you have come because you're lifers, right? You've been going to church. 
since the first day you were born. You've never missed a Sunday. You certainly have never missed Easter. And you are here on Sunday because this is what you do. You wouldn't miss it for the world. You're here because this is what good Christians are supposed to do, and I'm glad that you're here. Some of you are here today because you found yourself today just under the boot of life. Nothing is going right for you. All sorts of things are going wrong. You tried everything, and you thought, you know what? Why not on Easter Sunday, why not just go and try church? Why not? Some of you are here because we are inviting church, and we've flooded this city with a barrage of invitations, and maybe a pretty girl invited you, and you thought, this is my chance. This is my opportunity. I could care less about church and singing and preaching and Easter and all that stuff. I just want to get next to her. Or a handsome guy invited you and said, oh, a pesky neighbor, or, you know, the person in a few cubicles down invited you and said, the only way to shut this person up, the only way to make this person go away is uh, to show up at church. Some of you are church shopping. Some of you, your kids have gotten out of hand, and you think maybe the church can help with that. The list can go on and on and on and on. And so that, you know, ask the question, why are you here? But, but the burning question is, who, who are you looking for? Who did you come, who'd you come to see? And so Jesus asks this very important question. Who are you looking for? And he asks it in a particular sort of episode of the resurrection story. We're going to look this morning at John chapter 20. If you would turn there with me in your Bibles, if you brought your Bibles. There are Bibles, by the way, on some of the edges of the rows. Feel free to grab one of those Bibles and to, to, to follow along with us as we read the text this morning. Also, feel very free to look up the Bible on your phone or your tablet. We'll also be projecting the words on the screen. Questions Jesus asked, who are you looking for? And so we'll look at it, the slice of the resurrection story, and we'll deal with this question. Uh, but before we do that, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this great crowd of people who have gathered for many reasons, but The main reason is to come and see you, to come and worship you, to come and celebrate with millions of Christians all over the world that the King, the Messiah, the Savior has risen. And so, Father, I pray that as we've gathered here, as we've gathered here, Lord, that you would meet us here, that we would come and receive what we're seeking. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray that you would ask us these questions. Lord, I pray that we would deal honestly with these questions so that we can uncover what needs to be uncovered. Lord, I pray that you would put power on these words that you've given me to speak. Move the preacher out of the way, Lord, so that your truth and your light may shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Uh, John chapter 20, we're going to start at verse 1. And so let me just set this up for us. Jesus, the Son of God, has come to earth to uh, take on himself the sins of the world. As the prophets have promised, Jesus has come. He's ministered, he's been a great example, he's taught, he's healed, he's delivered, he's done all these great stuff, but now is his time to die, to be crucified as the scriptures predict. And so Jesus has been crucified, he's been tortured, he's been nailed to a cross, he's been taken down off that cross and buried in a tomb. And so we pick this story up at chapter 20, and we'll start at verse 1. It says, early on Sunday morning, 
While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw, and he believed. For until they, excuse me, until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Verse 11, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angel asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? That's our question for the day. Who are you looking for? She thought he was a gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned around to him and cried out, Rabboni, which means, uh, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Now, this is a fascinating story, one of numerous accounts of the resurrection, one of numerous accounts of the sightings of Jesus, But this particular story has as its main character Mary Magdalene. Now, these guys, uh, Jesus has been crucified. His disciples are very distraught. This has sucked all of their faith and all of their hope out of the person of of Jesus. And as they are dealing with the days after Jesus' death, his crucifixion, they are completely busted. They're completely busted. They're totally unimpressed with how this thing went down. They are, are absolutely speechless with regard to the fact that Jesus did not somehow free himself from his captors, and their hopes are completely dashed. And so we're introduced to this character, this lady, Mary Magdalene, which is a very, very important character in this particular story, especially the episode concerning the resurrection of Jesus. And some of you are familiar with Mary, others of you not, but there's a good question to ask. Who is Mary? Why is she significant? Why are we focusing on her? Why is she important? Well, Mary w- was one of Jesus' devoted followers. Some even refer to her as a disciple. Again, we're not talking about the 12 apostles or the 12 disciples, but she was one of many, Jesus' many, many disciples and followers. And we first learn of Mary, first hear her name back in Luke chapter 8, and we learned that Mary was a part of a group of women who were demonized. In other words, they were just sort of filled with these evil spirits that would cause them to act out 
to throw themselves about violently and behave very strangely. And so when Jesus encounters these women, he deals with a demon. He frees them uh, from this demonic oppression, and they are free. They're new. They're able to think clearly and go about as normal. And a lot of these women were devoted to Jesus ever since. And in this group of women was this particular lady, Mary Magdalene. Now, there's a bunch of Marys in the Bible, but Mary specifically, Mary Magdalene, her sort of last name always accompanies her first name. And so you know when you're dealing with Mary Magdalene because it actually says Mary Magdalene. And so Jesus heals her, and she's completely devoted to him. She follows him around, listening, listens to his teachings. Bible scholars tell us that Mary was perhaps wealthy, Uh, because maybe she was involved in the fishing trade, and she used some of her wealth and influence to support Jesus' ministry. Mary is a very important person. And so what Mary wanted to do on this Sunday morning is she wanted to go, before, before the sun even rose, she wanted to go and pay her final respects. Some scholars believe that things happened so quickly on the night that Jesus was, was crucified that when they took the body down, they didn't have the, the time to properly sort of uh, anoint the body and to pay their final respects. And so what she wants to do on this Sunday morning, she wants to get up real early and she wants to go and anoint Jesus' body. She wants to pay her final respects. Now, what Mary knows is that Jesus' tomb was sealed for, for, for a couple of very important reasons. Uh, Jesus' tomb was sealed because, um, nope, they didn't want anybody getting in. They didn't want anybody coming to steal the body and to pretend like he was resurrected. So not only was the tomb sealed with a big rock, but there was a, a guard placed on the outside of the tomb. And so when Mary arrives and discover what she, discovers what she discovers, this is like scandalous. This is breathtaking. This is, this is really significant what's happening. And so we encounter Mary in this story. And as we walk through this story, there are certain things that are revealed to us along the way, things that are revealed to us about Mary. And since Mary is a disciple of Jesus Christ, she's one of his devoted followers, also what we, what we see revealed are things that we see revealed about the rest of Jesus' disciples, the rest of his followers, including us. And as we look at this story, it's important that we also make these discoveries about our own self as we ask this burning question, who are you looking for? And so as we walk through these revelations, the first thing that we see revealed is Mary's expectations are revealed. Her expectations are revealed. Verse 1 tells us that while it was still dark, Mary came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She found that the tomb, had, the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. This is shocking to her. This is shocking to her, so shocking that she runs away back to the disciples and says, listen, somebody has taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. Now, let's just talk about expectations for a moment. Jesus worked with these guys, talked to them, taught them, healed in front of them. Massive displays of God's power over and over and over and over and over and over in the various Gospels we read where Jesus literally says, I'm going to die. I'm going to die, but don't freak out. It's going to be all right. Your boy will be back, okay? He didn't quite put it that way, but that was basically what he was saying over and over. So, so much so that there was back and forth about it. Lord, that's not going to happen. And Jesus says, chill out. I'm kind of God here. I'm telling you what's going to happen. Just trust me. 
And so when we engage this story, it's very clear to us, we don't have to get two verses into this thing, to discover that Mary is very surprised that Jesus is not in the tomb. She's very surprised that Jesus is not there. I'm going to tell you, I wrestle with this. I wrestle with this. I go, listen, he said it. He said it. If I was getting up early for anything on Sunday morning, at least I'd like to think so, I'm going there to check. I'm going to have the boys with me. We're going to go celebrate. We're going to find out where Jesus is. But when we behold the disciples' reaction to the stone that's been rolled away, and even as they peek in and they discover that Jesus' body is not in there and the, 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 the linens are folded nicely, they go, man, what's happening here? And it's clear to me, and it might be clear to you, that they don't even suspect for a second in, that, in, that, in those early moments that Jesus was risen from the grave. They don't expect for one second that Jesus was risen from the grave. And so it speaks to their expectations. Jesus was not what they expected. And Jesus was not where they expected him to be. I told you on Friday that Jesus is is one of the most misunderstood men in human history. And when we look at how much Jesus is misunderstood, we often think about how he was misunderstood by the people who wanted to kill him, the people who wanted to crucify him, the people who were at odds at him. But Jesus was most misunderstood by people like you and me, those who follow him, those who love him, those who serve him. And though Jesus says over and over, this is who I am, this is what I will do, this is what I'm about, this is what my kingdom is all about, somehow, some way, we've got selective hearing and we only hear slivers of it. We only hear parts of it. And these parts of misinformation, these little sections of truth, shape our expectations in ways that set us up, set us up for failure, set us up for being brokenhearted and let down by God. And when we look at the story, we look at this story, we see that their expectations were way off. And so as we consider the fact that the expectations are, are way off, we have to ask ourselves, because we're trying to contextualize this truth to us. How have we misunderstood Jesus? How have that misunderstanding of Jesus shaped our expectations today? I've been in a lot of churches. I've listened to a lot of sermons. And sometimes I listen to sermons and I wonder what Jesus they're talking about. I wonder where they got that. When we talk about Jesus, his ultimate goal for your life is to give you the biggest house that, 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 that you can get, a couple nice cars out front, nice fence, two and a half kids, whatever the dream is that you seek. And I go, where on earth is that Jesus in the Scripture? Where on earth is that Jesus in the Scripture? Well, the version of Jesus... Uh, that is, is, is void of any suffering, void of any pain, any type of loss, any type of difficulty, uh, the type of Jesus that just wants to pad our life with cushion and comfort. I go, where on earth is that G- Jesus in the Scripture? I don't, I don't find that when I read the text. I don't find that when I interact with the Scriptures. 
And as we interact with these false Jesuses, our expectations are broken. And when our expectations are broken, it sets us up for the big D, and that is disappointment. And as we journey through this story, we re, uh, you know, her, her expectations are revealed. And as we interact with her expectations, we, we, we also find that her disappointment is revealed. And disappointment is simply, simply when your expectations are not met. When what you thought would happen doesn't quite happen the way you thought it would happen. There's a lot of things that make you mad. There's a lot of things that make you angry. There's a lot of things that can make you upset. But you only get disappointed when what you expected to happen doesn't actually happen. You only get disappointed when your expectations are not met. And so Mary rolls up to this tomb, and she's like double disappointed, right? She's grieving and reeling from the fact that Jesus died, right? Kings don't die. Messiahs don't die. At least my version of the king that's going to come and free us and and set all things to right, my version of the Messiah does not die. So she's super disappointed by that. But the least she wanted to do was come and pay her final respects, anoint the body, just just do the last final things. And on top of her disappointment about Jesus, the Messiah being dead and not being able to save himself, she's super disappointed now because the one thing that she wants to do to just sort of wrap this thing up uh, can't happen now because somebody's gone and moved somebody's gone and moved the body somebody's gone and moved the body she's disappointed she's disappointed and friends there's two types of disappointment there's a type of disappointment where, where somebody legitimately lets you down they tell you something they present themselves to you as one thing and they completely let you down they misrepresent the facts They don't come through, and they let you down. There's a second type of disappointment, and that's where you've misunderstood something. You misunderstood someone. You have an unreasonable set of expectations that seem as real to you as an actual promise. It's important for us to know that when it comes to Jesus, if we're interacting with the real Jesus, if we're taking him at his word, if we're studying the scriptures, if we're seeking to find who he really is, Jesus never disappoints. Jesus never disappoints, and he always satisfies. Now, I've got to say that again because you say here today, I'm very disappointed with our Lord and Savior. i got kids who are acting a fool. i got cancer taking over my body. I can't pay my bills. My boss is acting a fool. My, 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 my home life is a mess. I've got all this brokenness and dysfunction in my life. Trust me, I've got a bone to pick with this man they call Jesus. I'm sorely d- disappointed with him. And what I can lovingly say to you with all affection is that maybe, just maybe, you haven't been act- interacting with the real Jesus. Uh, Just maybe you haven't been interacting with the real Jesus. Because this disappointment that we feel, some of you have just been disappointed, you just know that it's paralyzing. It it just knocks all the wind out of you. And some of you, I know this because I'm your pastor, you're dealing with something right now, and I can see it in your face that the wind has been knocked out of you with this thing that you're dealing with now. This, the breath has been taken out of you, and, and it just paralyzes you. 
So much so that your, your shoulders like literally slump under the weight of this disappointment. The cancer came back, and you're dealing with it again. That thing happened again. You and all the prayer warriors, you prayed of so much oil and tears everywhere that you thought for sure that God would come through, and, and it didn't happen, and so you, you disappoint, and it's paralyzing. Uh, disappointment is intoxicating. You get drunk off it. It colors how you view the world. It colors how you view God. It colors how you view people and situations, even stuff that's totally unrelated to the situation that you're disappointed about. Disappointment is intoxicating, and it just permeates your life in a way that just brings a cloud of darkness over you. Disappointment. And we see Mary is disappointed. Verse 11 tells us that she was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She stooped and she looked in. And she saw an angel in there when she looked in. And the angel asked her, said, woman, why are you crying? And she reveals to us why she's crying. Because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have put him. And if you read between those lines... If you read between those lines, it's not that Jesus isn't there. It's that Jesus was there in the first place, that he was dead, that he didn't come through, that she'd given her life to something and her time to something and her heart to something and her hope to something that didn't seem to pan out. She was disappointed. She was disappointed. But the only way to deal with disappointment in in a kingdom context is to deal with the real Jesus, right? And so as we travel through this story, we've seen two revelations already, but, but now we get to the really important revelation, and that is Jesus sort of reveals himself to her. Jesus reveals himself to her. In the midst of her disappointment, in the midst of being paralyzed and intoxicated and, and dealing with all of this, she, she, she interacts with Jesus. Verse 14, she turned to leave. She was talking to an angel. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? This is the second time she's been asked that. Jesus asked her, and who are you looking for? Now get this. Mary is like in a tomb, right? Now picture this. Close your eyes if you have to. It's like the sun hasn't come up yet, right? Uh, She's stooped in and she's gone into this tomb like where dead people are. She's having this eerie experience with these angels who are talking to her, and she doesn't seem at all put off by this. She doesn't seem in the least bit afraid. Normally, angels have to say, fear not, right? My suspicion is that Mary is just in like a haze right now. She's so overcome with this thing. She's crying, probably can't see straight, And in the midst of all of this, she's a mess, probably needs a tissue or something, right? And in the midst of all this, Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up, but she's so in the throes of this thing that she doesn't even even recognize him. Doesn't even see him for who he really is. And Jesus asked her this question. This is not the main question, but he asked her this question, Dear woman, why are you crying? Now, I've asked that question before. Uh, I grew up uh, with four sisters and one mother. That's five women, one house. I asked that question a lot. But it wasn't a fact-finding question in the way that I was asking it. It wasn't like, hey, 
what's wrong? Like, why are you crying? It was more like, why are you crying this time? <laughs> what are you crying about now? Or are you crying about that? I mean, is that really a big deal? Is that what you're... My, my suspicion is that Jesus isn't asking in that tone, uh, but he asked this question nonetheless. And so I told you, Jesus asked really good questions. And most of the time, I think that Jesus already knows, like a good lawyer, he already knows the answers to the questions before he, he, he asks them. And my guess is that Jesus just wants us to hear ourselves say some things out loud. Sometimes in the silence of things just sort of swirling around in your head, they are, they are automatically validated. They're real because you feel them. They're real because this moment just is so real, and I just, I just need to feel this way. And so Jesus said, why are you crying? But he asked her an even better question. He says, who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? Jesus says, your, your crying tells the story already, but please, please tell me. Just, let's just, just lay on the couch of the great counselor, Jesus, and let's, 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 let's work this out. Who, who are you looking for? And what she should have said is, I came to pay my last respects to a dead Jesus, to a Savior that could no longer save, to a healer that could no longer heal, to a Messiah that, well, clearly wasn't the Messiah. That's who I'm looking for. I'm looking for a dead, powerless Jesus. And so before we pick up the stones, and before we assault her for being faithless, before we assault her for for not believing in Jesus, in the thickest and worst part of the story, we need only ask ourselves, who are we looking for when we darken the doors of the church? Who are we looking for when we open our Bibles at the crack of dawn and we do our quiet time? Who are we looking for when we call out to this God that we heard about? Who are you looking for? Who are you looking for, man or woman, when you come into church with your head hung low, the guilt and the shame of what you've been up to? Who are you looking for? Your answer, honestly, you come looking for a God who's too impotent and too, uh, and too powerless to deal with your particular brand of brokenness and sin. Because obviously what you're into is too big for the cross and the blood of Jesus to cover. And so we come in under the weight and the shame and the guilt of our sinfulness, and we don't boldly approach Jesus who's risen who was whipped for us, who was beaten for us, pierced, as we talked about on Friday night, pierced for us. We don't approach that Jesus with boldness and with humility and with, with, with certainty that we'll be forgiven. We, we approach like Mary did. We come expecting. We come looking for, you know, a dead Jesus wrapped up, mommy style. That's who we're looking for. Let's not get too hard on Mary here. Who are you looking for? And some of you come to Jesus, arms folded, scowl on your face with your list of demands because you are seeking a God, you're seeking a Jesus that owes you something. You're seeking a Jesus who you've got issues with because he's not Jesusing right. You need Jesus a different way because the real Jesus wouldn't Jesus that way. 
9-11 wouldn't happen if Jesus was on the throne, if you were alive. You know, Sandy Hook wouldn't happen, Paris, you know, San Bernardino, Bel- Belgium. These things wouldn't have happened if, if, if you were Jesusing right. My issue wouldn't be upon me if, if you were on the throne and if you were alive. And so you come to church, you, you crack your Bible, you do the dutiful thing, you, you, but, but you're, you're, who are you looking for? What type of Jesus did you come look, expecting to find? What type of Jesus did you come hoping to see? And I would argue that how we approach Jesus, which has been shaped by our expectations, many times wrong expectations, many times unreasonable expectations, many times unfounded expectations as it relates to the Scriptures, we approach Jesus based on our understanding of him. When it comes to being disappointed, when it comes to feeling let down, it is always the case that we have misunderstood, always the case that we've heard wrong, we've read wrong, we've superimposed our wish list on him, or maybe with an atheistic disposition, we've come uh, with a better idea of how God should be God, a better way to do these things a better way to do these things. And what Jesus lovingly says as he asks us these questions and he forces us to reckon with our expectations and what we've come to see and what we've expected, Jesus would say, you know, I I never said that. You know, I never promised, I never promised you that. It would flash us back to the scriptures where Jesus says that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. That there's a great road of suffering ahead of me. That the people hated him. He point back to the Old Testament scriptures that the, the Son of Man will be crucified. He will be, be killed. Jesus said, listen, what you're expecting, I never promised you that. I never told you that that would happen. I never did. My ache for the cancer that is, that is consuming your body. I, 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 I totally sympathize, and I walk with you along this road of suffering, but I never, ever promised you that that stuff would not come upon you. What I did promise you is that I would be back. What I did promise you is that I will be with you no matter where you walk, no matter where you go, through the valley of the shadow of death, uh, the mountain peaks and valleys, I, I promise you that I'll be with you and I've never left your side, but you couldn't see it because you were crying. You couldn't see it because you were upset. You couldn't see it because you were grieving and disappointed. And even then, I've never left. And some of you are at this moment right now, and in that moment where you're in right now, the only thing you need, you don't need another sermon, you don't need another devotional, You don't need the band to sing you happy. What you need is to interact with a risen Savior. You need to interact with the revealed Christ. And this is exactly what Jesus does for Mary in verse 16. He calls her name. Verse 16, Mary, Jesus said. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is the highest honor for teachers, great teacher, master teacher, she recognized his voice. 
Now, I'm struck by this because Jesus didn't say, sit down right here, Mary. It's me. It's Jesus. Now, let me thumb you through the scroll. See, here Isaiah said that, you know, this would happen. And Mary, remember back that time where I was teaching and I said, that this? she didn't give her this long discourse. What does he do? He simply calls her name. He simply calls her name. There's something about having your name called by a familiar voice that is, is, is very special, is very meaningful, is very recognizable. And some of you are interacting with me after church, and I'm talking, and this room is just full with noise, and it's bustling, and people are laughing and joking, and I hear these little faint little voices, they say daddy. Now, there's a bunch of daddies in here. There's a bunch of daddies in here. And, and, and it's interesting that all the daddies don't look when they hear daddy. It's interesting. There's something really fascinating about that when you stop and think about it. Now, what's happening? What's happening? The particular daddy that that voice belongs to, particularly that little one, they know that voice. They know that voice. They could be in a packed arena with, with, with thousands of people, and they would hear and understand and respond to that voice because they recognize it. It's familiar to them. And so in the same way, Mary was in her feelings as deep as you can get in your feelings. But Jesus says, Mary, Mary. And in that moment, I I wish I could be a fly on the wall of her mind to see what she connected with with that voice, with, that, with her name being called, what came flooding back to her, what memories of Jesus' teaching, what truths about him had she buried uh, along with her false uh, exp- uh, expectations, what, what might have come rushing back to her as Jesus says her name. Doesn't matter. We'll never uncover that unless you get the glory and ask her. It's not important. What we know is that she got it. What we know that in this moment, Penny dropped for her, and she saw Jesus for who he really is. And some of you, you just need Jesus to call your name. Now, he may not audibly say your name, may not even hear your name whispered in the quiet of your soul, but Jesus knows how to call your name. He knows how to call your name. And some of you have been in the thick of certain situations, and you play Bible roulette, you know, where you don't have a plan, where you just say, Lord, just lead me to something. I'm just reaching here, and I'm open. And what the Lord led you to that day, read your mail in a way that nothing else could. And you go, this has to be the spirit of the living God calling my name. Stranger, doesn't know anything about you, came and gave you an encouraging word or came and gave you some steadying wisdom, and you thought that had to be an angel of the Lord sent to me, call my name today. You showed up to church, and the preacher was talking to you. And you had a sneaking suspicion that your wife had emailed him, you know, slipped him a 20 or something to work you into the thing. Because you were certain that somebody had told the preacher your business. No, Jesus was calling your name, down and depressed, and somebody who doesn't even know you stuck an invitation in your hand to say, listen, come to my church. They didn't know what you were going through. They didn't know you were about to, to, to give up. They didn't know you were thinking about taking a handful of pills and just, just, just letting the chips fall where they may. But Jesus called your name and he revealed himself to you in a way that only he could, and it was worth 
everything to you. He's worth everything to you. Because Jesus, that's what he does best. He reveals himself to us because he knows that we need nothing more than to interact with the revealed Christ. Every broken false expectation melts away. All the disappointment of what you're dealing with and how you think God has let you down and how you think you've been dealt with, it all melts away when you deal with the revealed and, in this case, resurrected Jesus. Because what happens? When you deal with the real resurrected Jesus, everything that he's spoken, everything that's been spoken about him is in that instant validated, and the truth of who God is is made real to you in that moment. Friends, there's nothing, nothing like it. Nothing like it. Her, Jesus, is revealed to her. Her Jesus is revealed to her. And as her Jesus is revealed to her, her hope is restored. Last thing today, her hope is restored. And hope is just not wistful thinking. Like, hope is the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning. Hope is like the gas in your tank. Hope is the reason that you go on, the reason that you live. And if we interact with these disciples and these followers of Jesus, particularly after Jesus was crucified, you, real, you see them. One went back to fishing, dudes wandering over here, walking a road, kicking rocks. Mary's full of grief. She can't even see straight. They're aimless. What's the point? No doubt they've surveyed how much time and energy they've squandered, how foolish they look to those who have said all along, listen, this guy isn't the real deal. And just at this point, they're just aimless. But when they interact with the real Jesus, hope is restored. Mary doesn't know what to do with herself. She's literally clinging to Jesus. You're not leaving me again. And Jesus says to her in verse 17, don't cling to me for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go Find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. Boy, if you read between those lines, there's plenty there. He's real. He's risen. Let's pick up where we started. Let's not just pick up where we left off. Let's do the things that we were doing when we were were certain that Jesus was the real deal. Let's go and preach. Let's go and and pray. Let's go and extend the kingdom of God. Let's go and find out where Jesus is going to be so he can let us know what's next. Their hope was restored. And some of you you just want to experience Jesus, want to deal with the real Jesus just so that you can have something to believe in again, something to hope in again, something that will get you out of bed in the morning, something that, that, that you can purposefully walk towards it. My, 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 my prayer for you today is that today you interact, you discover, you, you uncover the revealed Christ, the real Jesus, because his gift to you this Resurrection Sunday is not eggs and bunnies and all sorts of things. His gift to you is hope, the hope that he's the real deal, that he's a good, good God, and that he has a magnificent plan for your life, and that he hasn't lied to you, and that he'll come through, and that he'll make good on his promises. Jesus is revealed. Hope is restored. Worship team, you can come up as I close. What's the big picture here? The big picture is this answer to this question. Who are you looking for? And as you answer that question, ask yourself if the Jesus that you come looking for squares with the Jesus of the Scriptures. 
the promises that have shaped your expectation, are they the actual promises that Jesus made? Do we come trusting that he's a healer? Do we come trusting that he's a deliverer? Do we come trusting that in the midst of our situation and circumstances, his great promise is that he will never leave us and that he'll walk beside us? And as we do that, some of you will discover and uncover that you need a new Jesus. Because the one that you've got is incomplete. The one that you've got has been constructed by little bits and pieces of false information, perhaps by well-meaning individuals. But some of you would say that you need a new Jesus, a better, more accurate picture of him. And a better, more accurate picture of Jesus that will shape your expectations, reshape with them, deal with your disappointments, reveal Christ to you in a real and powerful way so that hope can return or even visit you for the first time. Who are you looking for? I hope you've come expecting the real, revealed Jesus. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your truth. Thank you, Lord, how when we're in our darkest places, when we need you the most, you just have a way of showing up, calling our name and speaking truth to us that we need to hear. And so, Father, no, no matter what false version of you that we came seeking to you today, Lord, I pray that now when we engage you, we engage a real resurrected God that is incapable of letting us down. And for those of us who are under the boot of life and for those of us who are struck with grief and for those of us who have questions that need answering, Lord, I pray that as we worship you this morning, that you will call our name and that name will be familiar to us, Lord, and we will come running to you and allow you to be our savior, allow you to be our healer, allow you to be our friend, allow you to transform our life in a powerful way. God, it's you that we've come to because you satisfy. Be with us, Lord, as we worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.